Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time, a Bailu, and this is the show where we speak to people about the opportunities that they have found, created, or taken advantage of via rugby. And of course, I want to let you guys know today the person we're speaking to is me. All right? No guest, just one on one talking it out with you. And I think that is. Something that I should be doing on a regular basis. Like, I think there's more opinions that I have and, and more analysis that I think can be had. Not that we don't have some great analysts out here. You know, I got to be PC, give the credit where credit is due. But, you know, it doesn't always have to be guest-centric, you know, even though, even though it basically has been the entire time. But needless to say, we have a great show with a great set of topics that need to be talked about for today. And uh, I think like there's no time like the present to catch it before Thanksgiving. If you're hearing this on Thanksgiving Day, kudos. If you're listening to this on your way to see family, awesome. And of course, of course, if there happens to be a chance that you're listening to this after Thanksgiving or, you know, whenever you're listening to it, man, the big key is I hope that you're having an awesome and wonderful Thanksgiving. Yo, don't want you to forget, please subscribe to the podcast on any of your streaming platforms or primarily Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but we're also on iHeartMedia and so much more. I want to thank you so much for listening. Also, please, if you can, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube. You can catch us at Gift Time Rugby, uh, youtube.com slash Gift Time Rugby, and uh, definitely get the show and so much more stuff of rugby content and and such like that. So thank you so much. Definitely appreciate it. And you can absolutely follow us on social media. We have had a lot happen over the course of this last week. And uh, definitely some things to talk about. I think this might be the most dynamic set of rugby news that we've been able to talk about in months to say the least, which is probably not saying very much, and that probably explains a lot of the issues. But it's great that we have some storylines, and it's good to talk on. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Portugal and USA, uh, obviously, what the results are and what the after effects of that's going to be and what that means for the future. Um, we got some new coaching possible news that are popping up, and I think that is going to be speaking a lot of volumes again. Future of rugby in USA, future of rugby in North America, and uh, really just trying to see what's going to happen, especially leading up to the Rugby World Cup in 2031 and 2033, even though nobody really keeps talking about the Olympics in 2028. But, hey, you know, whatever. We'll keep keep acting as if that's not the one that also needs to set this thing all the way off. Um, We'll talk about the structure of rugby in the USA, what we need to do, what's good, what's bad, continue up on that. And, of course, let's talk some women's rugby and the direction that they're going in because I think this is a subject that is not being spoken on on a grander scale because traditionally we speak on the men's side because that's the traditional side. But, you know, the women's side actually plays into part of what we're actually able to do as a country uh, and in terms of the development of our actual U.S. growth. So we're going to break down a bunch of these. Uh, But for right now, intro. I think the minute... I stepped on a practice field for rugby. The calling happened. An eight-year plan to be on the team. 
and I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro. Right. And I walk around with a rugby ball sometimes, and they're like, what is this child on? It looks like it was a heavy hit. It's up. It's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And there's two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. That rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, all cultural um, aspects. He looked at me, and he says, you guys are awesome. <laughs> All right, man, uh, <laughs> what a week, all right? Let's talk about Portugal versus USA. Uh, USA went up against Portugal for in the Repache. Uh, this was the final qualifier for the uh 2023 Rugby World Cup that's going to be held in Paris. And whoever won out, won out this game was going to end up going through. The U.S. had, this was the first time the U.S. had gone through this in a long time. All right. We had lost already twice to Chile uh, and and basically screwed our chances of getting our uh, America one uh, bid and we lost our America two bid as well, not being able to close out. So this was our final chance to do it. And a lot of people think that this game was really lost because of what happened against Portugal itself, which was a 16-16 tie and that it was a tie. But the reality of the situation was points. It's, it's points like Portugal slacked. Kenya, eighty nine to zero, eighty nine to three, and just had a point favorability. So all they needed to do was just not do too much or win. Like just don't lose is basically their only game, and we had to absolutely win because we just did not have enough points. And I already got a lot of issues when it comes to international rugby and the rules. And I, I think it's going to be safe to say that to some extent when it comes to sports and maybe not, not really on a lot of other stuff, social, political, uh, I'm pretty balanced. But when it comes to sports, I'm very xenophobic when it comes to it. I'm very, very xenophobic. I have such a ridiculously high regard for U.S. and American sports culture uh, because I just simply think it's better in terms of program. I think it's worse maybe for traditionalism, which I think the rest of the world does when it comes to sports, which speaks to a little bit of the issues that we have with rugby. But when it comes to actually successful, profitable, engaging, dynamic sports, I think the U.S. wins out hands down over any other country in the world. And I know people are going to be like, what about association football, a.k.a. football, a.k.a. soccer? It's the most watched sport in the world. No, it is the most traditionally watched sport in the world. Obviously, colonization win for that one. But it is one of the least profitable sports in terms of professional sports in the world. Like, it is... Don't get me wrong. High pay uh, because it requires very little in terms of its operating overhead. But because of the salaries that it has to do, Premier, specifically in Premier League, uh, Series A, and all all of them, like they're not profitable clubs. It's profitable 
in terms of premier of the 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 league, but the clubs are not. They are they run capitalists and just run money. That is a money pit, but it is an amazing engager, and it has obviously the audience. So when I'm speaking about sports culture, I'm not speaking about just necessarily viewership. I'm talking about the entire business and being able to create a dynamic that not only makes people want to watch, but also creates buy-in and also is able to sustain itself without necessarily having to be a play toy for only billionaires, which I find soccer to be. So just put it out there. So I am incredibly xenophobic with that. With that being with with sports, with that being said, I hate ties. I hate them with an absolute passion. And I hate the fact that a point system can regulate the tie. Now, I do respect that when a point system needs to be used is when you have two teams that have not had a chance to either play against each other or they have enough of a circle of win losses around themselves that the only way to determine uh, the play is by points. But whenever the two teams, like on the repache, actually are facing on the field and actually the results of the field have to be made, uh, the results of the field determine what the next moves are, what happens on that field needs to play. And a game like that should have played through to overtime. This is the traditionalism I hate. I hate this in international sports. That game should have been played into a actual winner, whether it is both sides get a chance or a kickoff or uh, I, I would have hated it to be a kicking game. I would have liked another another uh, another half. Both sides get a chance at the ball and then winner all. And then if that didn't play, then it's uh, sudden death first to score. Like that's where it should have gone because that has too many implications down the line to be simply based off of what you did against a team that by all means was, I guess, inferior to them. Like Kenya just did not, Kenya 15s did not match up to Portugal. Like neither did, uh, I mean, Kenya for, for the U S and, and then obviously uh, uh, the game prior to that, which now I can't remember the team because I don't have it on my notes. I just, they, they weren't, it was going to come down to the USA and Portugal, right? It was going to come down to the USA and Portugal. It should have been left on the field. I hate that it's left on points. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. But that being said, the U.S. had a chance. And you're talking about a game that we're kicking the entire time. We're kicking ridiculously amounts of times and just taking away ball. And, of course, in an international play, you do that so that you can back people up. You can play field advantage. There is a strategic reason for it. But whenever you are talking about a game that's close and you are holding the lead for an extended period of time, all right, the only game that you need to play is don't get penalized and don't lose possession. So in, in, in that, I, I just I was very disappointed in it. And, and this is not on. You know what? We always got to put these disclaimers. It's not on the players. We're talking about the system. Look, if we want to be a fan base, players and coaches and staff and everybody have to understand that as a system, we have to have the highest expectations of you. If we don't have the highest expectations of you, we don't care about whatever the results are going to be. So if we're going to do that, we need to be able to put expectations and responsibilities and accountabilities on people. So while I do not say that the players half-ass, I think the USA players absolutely 100% were for this. 
you've got to put a responsibility somewhere. So whenever I'm saying USA, uh, we're talking about the team, we've got to talk about the team. Of course, I absolutely know players put everything on the line. They tried. They did their best, whatever, whatever. The problem is it just it didn't work. And it didn't work against a team that we used to shellac. It, 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 it's a little bit sad. And, and Portugal was ranked actually higher than us. We were 19th. They were 18th. That is wild. That is absolutely wild that we have fallen into that part. But the fact that we were just giving away the ball on those kicks for field positioning, especially late in the game. Throughout it, I understand it was a low-scoring game, a lot of defense, a lot of all right offensive play. But they were doing their job. But it's the giveaways at the end because traditionally this is what it's meant to be. And I think this also speaks a lot to what we need to do as our identity as a U.S. And I'll speak on that a little bit later. But this game I th- was sobering. Aside from the fact that there's no North American teams that are going to be in the Rugby World Cup, first time since 1995, that no North, well, no, not not true, not true. It's going to be first time since 1995 that the USA has not been in the Rugby World Cup because Canada, shout out to my boy Eddie Evans, played into 95 uh, Rugby World Cup for Canada because Canada was part of that 95, so let me recorrect this. But this is going to be one of the first times that we don't have a North American team in the Rugby World Cup. I think the first time ever because it's either been a Canada or the U.S. uh, And I think on the slightest of slight occasions, maybe Mexico. But uh, USA or Canada has been in the Rugby World Cup at one point or another. And the USA not being there is just just massive, massive failure uh, on, on so many levels. But what does that mean overall? We can talk about the problem. So what, what does that mean in terms of what needs to be done? Well, I think first and foremost, whatever has happened since the, post, since the pandemic, um, this is our rude awakening to get our shit correct, right? Like you – we have been slogging through, whether it is not playing enough games or the lack of money or whatever. We have not been able to do anything that we did Leading up till 2019, and I think a lot of that also speaks about what happened at the Rugby World Cup 2019. If there was another sobering element because of the fact that we just won nothing at that Rugby World Cup. Um, and we had expectations as well, too. But when it comes to what we need to do next... I mean, this is a real hard question because I think it, we have to figure out what's going on from our culture and I think one thing that we've always been able to identify, and I speak to why we kick at the end of a game that we should be holding on to the ball or uh, we are uh, unable to really maintain ourselves. And we can talk our environment and everything, but the key is we don't have our American identity. We still have not made an American identity of our international rugby to follow. We are simply continuing to be copycats. We copycat of South Africa, copycat of England, copycat of New Zealand. When I'm saying this, we're talking about Gary Gold, uh, Mitchell. Um, you know, the last American we had was Tolkien, and Tolkien was kind of developed under the England system and tried to dynamically create his own. So, you know, you know, give credit where credit is due. Uh, and, and looking back, it almost feels like maybe we shouldn't have turned away from that, but uh, at the same time, I, I can't necessarily agree that that was a bad decision. Um, but it's it it speaks to what is our style 
Like, we have these players that come across from all different ways and walks of life, uh, across the region, across the nation. Uh, we got our stout guys like Teo, or we got these big guys like Cam Dolan. And, you know, we, we, we can mosh, mosh pit them together, and we basically just create um, our own, like, uh, uh, mosh pit of a team. Uh, uh, and then they play, and they happen to have played together for years but it's not our identity. Like, we don't have a style. There's, there's no one that's going to be like, oh, this is the way the Americans play. We always talk about what we potentially can do or who we can potentially can be. But I think this has to be the hard marker of ending the game of trying to copy those who seem to have successful systems. And I get the reason for it. They have successful systems. They've seen success. The The nature of the sport seems to work into their favor. They have the history. They have the talent. The timing uh, should go. But that's that's never been the American way. It's never been the U.S. way. And look, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Canada because I think Canada has a little bit better of an overall system and a Canadian way of playing uh, than we do. Uh, it, just a slight different one. And, and it does kind of match with a more European ass aspect. But they also got a system that's just more European than us. Like, we, we don't, we're not European. Like, there's none of our aspects, good or bad. We do not have a system that's European. So, uh, to have that be, uh, uh, shown in the way that we play rugby it, it's not and i don't think this is something that people haven't talked about over or in ad, ad nauseum but i don't think we've ever had to face the reality of doing it because there's almost a you're catching you have to catch it with the moment like I, I i understand this feeling like i remember during the bleeding into the pandemic everything that we're trying to do with gift time rugby you you have these plans but you can't ever fully interact enact them the way that you want to because you're trying to just keep up with everything moving forward. Well, then for me, the pandemic stopped and you have a chance to breathe and think, uh, you know, despite all the issues and problems and losses that we received there. But it's what it is. I think for the U.S., this is our pandemic rugby moment because we just have not been at the same part that we were at the end of leading into the 2019 Rugby World Cup. We just, again, the number of games we've played is dynamically low. The number of uh, players that we're adding in has been dynamically low. There's not been a real system, regi- there's not been a regime change in terms of uh, our player pool increasing. And right now I'm just talking about the men, but the women's side plays into it too. Um, but like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So what is it that we have going on? Well, we have this looming 2028, 2031, 2033 coming up along the way. And we have to set some kind of program for it. I mean, obviously the next one that accident rugby world cup that exists is going to be 2027 that we have a chance at, but we need to, by 2027, we need to have an idea of what our identity is. And by 2031, we need to implement it. And by 2033, it should be mastered in totality. 
absolutely mastered by that point. And that's with the right players, with the right scheme, with the right coach, with the right staffing behind it. And, and that's including the funding that goes along with it. We're sitting on the consummate goldmine of talent. And, it's, and we have ideas from all our different dynamics of sports, but it, it's almost like we consistently keep wanting to disrespect. And, and again, I am xenophobic under xenophobic. I am, uh, 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 I am very, uh, 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 yeah, I am very xenophobic when it comes to my sports cultures. All right. I do not want the U.S. to be a replicant of Europe or New Zealand or South Africa because the only thing that they are good at are the specific sports that they do. I mean, you can say cricket and all that, but hey, again, xenophobic on my sports culture. We have a ridiculous amount of confidence in what we do. We make a ridiculous amount of money in what we do with our top sports. Even from a talent, you, we are... We are emulated. We don't emulate. We borrow. We play like Facebook where we might go in. We might take and switch and add it into our system, but we bring it into our system. We don't copy it. All right. And I think we've seen this throughout the USA rugby. It impacts what we've done with MLR. MLR works a system that's similar to MLS. MLS's system is a similar one to Premier League. Premier League is a money pit. MLS is a money pit masquerading as a profit center that only makes profit based off of the franchises it makes, but it doesn't necessarily make the players any better. We do get younger players, but the players that do the best go overseas, and when they back through, it doesn't add anything. And then subsequently, we're seeing the same thing with MLR. But the catch-22 is rugby doesn't have the same kind of runway that soccer does. We don't have a 35... Well, no, we actually do have the runway. I'm not going to lie. We don't have a 35-year professional rugby uh, uh, startup uh, uh, as it because of the hard culture of rugby. Again, the reason why we cannot emulate a European system is a European system that has made rugby so dynamically uh, poor when it comes to cultural impact in the biggest countries in the world. It dynamically poor in impact. But let me finish my thought. Hey, we got some great stuff coming up, and I don't want you guys to miss out. Straight off the bat, HBCU Rugby Classic tickets are going up for sale starting on Black Friday. It is going to be the cheapest they'll ever be. Uh, It is great seats. We're talking about VIP, talking about our general seats. HBCU Rugby Classic happening on March 31st through April 2nd in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. It's going to be the first time on Howard campus. And why should you go to it? We are going to be the most dynamic, entertaining rugby tournament that you have ever seen. It's not even a tournament. We're a showcase. We're here to be able to show culture, HBCUs, and the mixture into rugby culture. It is something to be seen from step shows, a great rugby performances, and musical performances as well. So much that will be happening, and you don't want to miss out on it at all. 
definitely go to, to HBCURugbyClassic.com. Go check our ticketing, and it will take you directly to our event and definitely grab in. Tickets will only stay at this Black Friday price until Christmas. So I'm giving it a full month until Christmas. And then from there... We're going up, but I'm telling you, the value is going to be worth it right now. So don't miss out on one second of it. HBCRugbyClassic.com 2023 HBC Rugby Classic. Check out Howard University being there first. Check out the rivalry of Prairie View A&M and Morehouse. Get to see some international. The youth, it's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss a second of it. So what we're trying to do now is try to create the system that allows us to not be another money pit, which we're seeing MLR, and they just are feeling the repercussion. Shout out to Chicago finally getting their uh, team. Kudos. And But the key is we still have the issues uh, that come, bringing in players from overseas that are older. We're hoping to help rise the, the talent of the game uh, and rise the, the, the quality of the game, but not actually create the thing that's needed to make it move which is more money (laughs) but and that's where it starts even from the national level for usa rugby we start from a money position rugby has been played into an amateur system for so long that it actually impacts everything that we do we've worked so hard to create such a community that we forgot to create the business that makes the community actually stronger so I'll put an example like this. What are the biggest um, the biggest stores? And this all plays into what happened with Portugal and the U.S. and what we need to do to create the American identity. What are the biggest commerce in rugby here in the U.S.? It's jerseys, um, all-star camps, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and tournaments. Like... In the sense of players paying to be in a tournament. These are our three biggest commerce elements. From these dynamics, we have done a very poor job in matriculating in anything else. There's not been a great runover. So why is this a problem? Well, in and of itself, selling jerseys is not bad. The problem is we sell jerseys to players to be able to play. We sell jerseys to teams to be able to play. We don't sell jerseys to consumers to be able to represent. We don't sell jerseys to uh, kids to uh, recruit. We don't sell jerseys to companies to support. We sell jerseys to players to play, number one. Well, then, what, what about uh, all-star camps? What's, what's wrong with an all-star camp? In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with an all-star camp except for the fact that we don't give the best players actually the chance or we don't open up the space for the best players to be able to actually compete at the highest level. Because, let's be honest, a lot of your biggest talents, natural talents, maybe not skilled talents, but your natural talents are not going to come from money. And even more importantly, even your best talent technically should not want to actually pay to be on a team. They simply want to get the biggest jump to get to the best competition. 
And it's really just a simple system. And we see it like Rhino Rugby, I know, does it. And uh, we've seen it from Tiger Rugby. There are guys that will provide grant money to be able to play, pay a player to come and play. And, and, and it's, it's great. That's, that's how it should be done. But the bigger picture of what they're doing, ironically, with Rhino is to sell more jerseys and merchandise. Like, it, it's a cyclical cycle. And, and, and for them, it works. But it doesn't make sense as a grander scheme. Also, Rhino is not a U.S. company. It is a European company. So, of course, the European system works into their favor. And, uh, you know, they, they bank. They bank. And I, I give them credit. Like, yo, shout out to what they do for NCR. Um, you know, we talk about one of the major sponsors, AEG. Um, you know, kudos to them as an insurance company. Um, yo, they're, they're, they, they find a dynamic within rugby through the insurance cases. But most of the insurance are going to be through event insurance or through a group, um, the group uh, national insurance that has to be uh, enforced through SIP. So, yes, they gain something, but for the greater dynamic, we don't see that on an individual level. We don't see it uh, from it outside of it being the insurance. And people can talk about, oh, we don't have enough people. We do have enough players. We have enough population. We have enough population to be able to make it work. So there's that. So with the all-star teams going to that is you lose the best players or the best developing players because of the fact that they're, they have to pay out of pocket. And these costs are thousands of dollars. We're talking about for meals and food. and uh, I said meals and food as if they're not the same thing. Meals and shelter and, and, and uh, uh, travel. And then, of course, the jerseys and the kits themselves are another two $300 for it. Like, it's paying out of pocket and it hence reduces the pool to the best players capable of playing, not the best players that can play. So we have that. And then finally, it's the tournament costs. And initially, initially in themselves were a really great idea. I mean, it's a fundraiser for teams. It's a fundraiser uh, to be able to bring it's, a, it's an opportunity for teams to come together um and 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 compete against each other whether 7s 15s 10s irregardless it 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 is an amazing dynamic of how to raise money for a club or a region utilizing these competitions but the problem is what is the purpose past that like what what is it past that moment and I think there becomes a comfortability. And I, I suffer this with the HBC Rugby Classic. Getting sponsorships and, and business deals is tough. It's real work. It is real work. It is real dynamic work. And because the sport of rugby in the U.S. is so amateurism focused, there's not people to be able to do that. Shout out Rugby Marketing. You know, hit us up over here. Just put it out there. GiftTimeMedia.com. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a concept and a process that requires dedicated work that can't be done because the amateurism of the club. Now, we always talk about like, oh, what about these big clubs like Austin Blacks and Austin Huns and New York Rugby, uh, 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 New York Blues and New York Rugby Club and, and, you know, Belmont and these people that have a lot of people who have money. In that in, in those clubs that are part of those clubs, people that have money through other sport, through other means, 
it's great, but it creates the comfortability to not actually have to do the work to create um, an actual commerce behind the club. Like in real commerce, outside of what we put on the jerseys, and most of the time what's put on the jerseys just comes from another person who was an alumni of the club or, or played. And again, there's nothing wrong with getting funding from your, your alumni, but that, like any startup, should be the start, not the entire model itself. So why does all this matter when it comes to what happened with Portugal and U.S. and to some extent even what happened with the USA women in the Rugby World Cup uh, this past year, in, this past year in September, uh, and, and our quarterfinal loss in that? Well, what it means is that we've never created a culture where we actually now have to create more than just the game. And it is something that is so integral. It's the lifeblood of sports. Sports requires sponsorship money because you need businesses on because you're an eyeball to be able to push more products. You create consumer engagement, which means you need fans. You need fans that are not just friends and family. You need fans to come and pay for tickets to the game, which means you need to be able to (laughs) create stories. So whenever we all started getting onto social media, especially the sports way back early, late 2000, 2007, about the time Facebook opened up. The reason why it was so dynamic that we needed to be on there was, one, so people could find ways to contact, two, so we could put out schedules, and three, so that they people could, uh, you know, again, go back to contacting, find the clubs. Well, what happened past that point was you started doing the things needed to get found, recruited, and to find players, because that's always a consummate need. But it didn't create fan engagement. And, and little by little, you know, people will put little fun TikToks and Instagram reels out. But the question is, what is the actual strategy that you're doing to get the actual fan? What are the strategies that you're doing to engage into the community? And what that actually does is that it actually creates more simplicity in your player uh, development and um, acquisition later on. When you have fandom... It's easier to develop players because players now actually or or athletes now make a decision between wanting to play or watch or play another sport. And so you now create a marketing system that allows you to develop this out. And again, the European system can't doesn't work like this because they either work like in Ireland, where you already have a limited amount of sports, you have a limited amount of population, and so it's easier to just shove everybody into an academy and you just develop from home ground like you do because, honestly, you don't have that many choices. You don't have to speak very loudly, and so you can get your best players, you can be the best dynamic, and really the split that you're having is just between the professional clubs as opposed to between the national team itself, the same goes with South, uh, with 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 even England. Like these academies that work in conjunction with the professional teams, and then in, from that you take it up to the the international. But we're in the U.S. That's not what we do. We're transient. You know, we we move from across the country. We don't have a single system. So what we have to do when we're creating our marketing is create fandom. It's not just holding the rugby, you know, a shirt 
yeah. a shirt that says a rugby team, and then that's it. No, we need other people to actually wear it that don't necessarily play, you know, or not necessarily a participant in the active game, but they are passive marketers for your team itself. But that's a dynamic that you have to do. What does you, why do you do that? You, how do you do that? You have to create the stories. It is imperative that people know who is on your team all the time. It is imperative that you have to actually constantly update everything that's going on. And you have to find ways of separating out who is your, 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 your players, who are your staff. And we don't do that. We don't do it at the club level where we say, well, you know, it's amateur. Guys just want to have fun. That's great. That's great. But when you start getting to the higher up levels, D1 uh, and and top levels of D2, when people are at really like really traveling, well, you, you need that fandom. You should be able to get, you know, 100 people, 500 people uh, per game, 500 paying people per game. That's. $10 per that. And and you can say, well, what about stadiums? We don't always have stadiums. You got to find seating. This is this is part of it. So if you have alumni bases that have money, well, this is where it comes into playing. And I'm not going to talk about New York. I know you guys have limited space, but you guys have a field. And I, I don't know exactly what it is 100%, but it's the same concept. But I'm talking about everybody else, whether it's Midwest, the South, Florida, Cali. It, it doesn't matter. North, uh, Southwest. North, it doesn't matter. The, the problem still is pre- prevalent across the board. And guys, I, I will say this. This is a worldwide problem, but I only talk from the position from how it impacts the U.S. and why we get results like this 16-16 against Portugal. And as a result, but as a result of getting these dynamics, being able to increase and develop our commerce where we are opening it up for other businesses and finding ways to actually use the sport in the community to develop more money for other companies, we get more engagement. It means we get more marketing, which means the players that didn't think about rugby before, not talking about the players that never heard about it. I'm talking about the players that now have an option that are legitimate contenders to be great players for football, American football, um, basketball, hockey, uh, uh, the upcoming pickleball, which makes me sick that that has superseded us as the fastest growing sport. Um, any of these ideas, you create a dynamic where there's an option that's being made. We thought we were going to get that with MLR, and that would subsequently impact the national team, but MLR doesn't work in terms of developing the national team, and it doesn't work in terms of developing the local. It works in terms of trying to create an entertainment product that creates uh, engagement and money, which is what they need to do, but you know, the, the talk on that is a whole other conversation for another time. So we get to this Portugal USA where we're not tapping into our best and brightest uh, skilled players and athletes. Uh, and then on top of that, we're not creating commerce where we can fund them to be able to do that. So these are the things that I believe that we need to actually focus in to adjust what's needed so that we don't get these Portugal over U.S. situations or we don't get uh, situations like the USA women's national team, 15s, not being able to bring their best players. You have the selection, uh, you know, of of, do you play Olympic sevens that 
pays and has government funding or do you and and can pay a salary not a great salary but a salary versus 15s where the players have to pay out of pocket and it costs money to travel and do all these things but the other biggest part that we that prevents us from getting more of these subpar performances is to be able to disconnect from the teat of world rugby we are, since the bankruptcy, have been at the mercy of world rugby. Um, and it sounds like it should be a good thing, but it's not. Uh, it, it, it changes our decision-making. Um, because they are now invested into the U.S., uh, they invest into decisions. And I'm sorry. I know that world rugby has changed since their, you know, their days as uh, international rugby union, uh, uh, rugby union, uh, federation or whatever irc whatever and and but this is still the same cultural organization that waited until 1995 to go professional because they felt like the amateur was the purest form of rugby that they uh uh, condoned uh promoters owners stadiums to make money but not pay players again the European system of sporting doesn't work, and you don't want that to be the decision-making. But because we don't have great commerce overall, which means great marketing through other businesses, being able to see how we actually impact our rugby, uh, how our rugby can impact their businesses, we have to take the welfare system of world rugby, which is what's happening now. And especially now that the Rugby World Cup is about to come, we have to take even more of their money uh, that, that really we should, not, we should not ever have to touch. We shouldn't. Y'all, Black Friday is coming up. The holidays are coming up. And this is the perfect time to be able to get your family, your loved ones, your friends, your rugby stuff. Not just another rugby team because they might not even care about that team. You can't – maybe not everybody's here rocking for the All Blacks or rocking for Ireland or or just has a USA rugby jersey that they want to drop on. But you definitely can never go wrong with a casual rugby wear. Check it out at RugbyOutletMall.com. Uh, get the stuff that represents to the – Things that they already know, like our our Rugby Life shirt representing the YouTube culture. Of course, get our Rugby PayPal shirt that is just a beautiful blue that goes along with it. Um, You guys can get our HBCU Rugby Classic shirts if you want to represent for new and upcoming culture. But more importantly, guys, because you're listening to this podcast right here, I definitely want to make sure that you have something to go along with it to provide. So for any first-time users, definitely use the code GROWRUGBY for 20% off. That is GROWRUGBY, G-R-E-A-U-X, rugby. That's two words, G-R-E-A-U-X, rugby. And you guys will get 20% off of any Icono Rugby shirts, any HBCU Rugby shirts, and, and just be able to fully embrace the merch. It's winter time. Suit up. Get representing for your rugby anytime, anywhere, any place. It's going to be worth it, man. Speaking on the teat of world rugby, there was some dynamic news that came up uh, this week when it came to what is the future for USA national team. And news broke out. That Eddie Jones, the current 
coach for the England rugby team, England uh, rug- rugby union, um, and, and a legendary coach for Japan, Australia, is, on, is set to possibly sign with the USA rugby national team, which means Gary Gold obviously is not going to be coming back. I think uh, between the disappointment of 2019 and just the dynamic failure that's happened the last three years, it, it, it's just impossible to bring him back. Whether he seems like he's a good guy and all that, but uh, irregardless, um, you know, he, he's definitely not going to be coming back. With that being said, the reason why we're getting Eddie Jones is that World Rugby is paying for him. That is the welfare of World Rugby. Now, it seems like it could be a positive because, look, uh, going through on Eddie Jones, I, I actually initially was very hesitant because I know what he did in Japan, but, you know, England seems to have been very off him. And, and it's statements he's made and kind of the uh, hard way that he goes about uh, his training uh, makes people seem like they are a little bit off on him. But reading up on him, it doesn't seem like the players actually had that much of a problem with him. And I think the biggest issue that England has with Eddie Jones is that he's just not English. Like, it's just reality. He's just not English. So his behaviors seem very anti-English. And you can say, like, controversial statements that he said, uh, whether they're sexist or misogynist or whatever, unnecessary examples. But I think the issue is basically he's not English and doesn't have English sensibilities. So he does things that are not very English and then they run with it in the papers. And then of course what he's tweeted here and there and there's that. But honestly, as after reading up on him, especially his players really backing him um, last year after, after um, actually even earlier this year, after the autumn 20, uh, autumn, uh, Autumn Cup, like he's probably the really would be really good for the U.S. I and it's ironic as I just said I'm xenophobic when it comes to my U.S. sports, but I think Eddie Jones has a abrasiveness to him that actually works well with the U.S. The only problem that I have with it is does he care about being here in the U.S. Because uh, previous coaches have basically just used the U.S. as a stepping stone. Not even coaches, even staffers. We know famously Nigel Melville used the U.S. as a stepping stone to get more uh, impact into RFU. Uh, John Mitchell, a few years back, used it to be able to go back to uh, New Zealand or South, South Africa. Man didn't even live in the U.S. So, you know, really our only coach that seems to be dynamically into the U.S., is Mike Friday and also successful. Uh, and even that might be reaching its its apex. Um, but with Eddie Jones, you know, it would easily be the most accomplished coach that we've ever hired. But it's under World Rugby's bill. And that bothers me significantly because, again, it would be an opportunity to bring a guy that could bring publicity. He talks. He's abrasive. But he's also 61. He's 61. He's not necessarily going to be as connected. The man's relatively the same age as Bill Belichick. You know, does he still have the fire? Does he have the interest? Does he have the willingness to understand the culture of American culture, of the players? Because we're not English. We're not Australian. 
as much as Australians want to, you know, I love one quote he said. He's like, yo, I'm from Australia. We're fucking convicts over here. Like, I love that. That's abrasiveness I believe in. But we're not Australian. I, I, by all intents and mean, uh, purposes, I, I think Australians are probably nicer in terms of our immediate fandom, but we're not as bitter as uh, English people. Um, but I think Australians are nicer as fans, even if they're passionate, they're nicer. But no, we want a result. But I think it's really hard to be able to do that whenever we our, our culture still needs to be brought. We're kind of like traumatized children right now where we we've been beat so bad but we were told we have so much potential but we just never felt it because we just can't get over that top for a number of reasons can he does he have the energy to want to go do that again you know does he have the energy to want to go through that that he might not get the same press as England will give to him which might be a positive but we don't have the same length of patience for um, apathy in the coaching. Like, that's, I think that's where it's going to be, you know. And, and of course, like, he's going to have the responsibility of building the country. It's not even just building the U.S. national team. It's building the country, which is a ridiculously heavy task to be on. Again, the man is 61 years old. He'll be 63 by the time he comes to the U.S. Because his contract with England ends after the 2023 uh, Rugby World Cup. And then it's on and we get him most likely for 2024 and moving forward. So I, 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 it, it's a very complex situation. And I know some of us, we also talk about like, hey, why don't we build from the inside again? Why don't we get another coach? Mike Tolkien had uh, some success uh, and is obviously doing stuff with PR sevens and obviously his connection with NYRC. But, you know, I, I think the only issue that we have with the U.S. level coaches outside of Scott Lawrence, I'm going to be perfectly honest, outside of Scott Lawrence, I don't know if there's another coach that can perform at the highest level and escalate us, not keep us, maintain us, not be yeah, we can't be worse. No, we, we want to elevate at some point in time. The purpose is to elevate. Can we do it? But it doesn't seem like Scott Lawrence is really interested in being a U.S. national coach or they're not looking at him. And if Eddie Jones takes over, is he going to bring a protege? Will we be able to bring an American protege? Because that's what we thought we would be doing under this regime. And it doesn't seem like we have any coaches that are standing out. Uh, any significantly so I, I think that's going to be the big issue with bringing on an American coach who is it that's going to elevate us past mediocrity if we can even do it and again I go talk about the system and stuff like that and I, again I'll go over the structure but it'll be interesting to see but the only thing I just don't like that we're on world rugby's teeth man I don't like the fact that world rugby is funding this for us I don't like the fact that world rugby is is playing daddy to the U.S. It's a weird position for us to be in, and, 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 but it is. It's the reality of what we do. I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer. I'm just I'm hopeful to see, but what we do over this next year, I'm talking about during the Rugby World Cup year uh, and subsequently this next Olympic year uh, coming up, we really are going to have to dynamically make adjustments to 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 what we're we're doing before i go into the structure of 
of what I think USA Rugby needs to do. And, of course, I spoke about it. I want to talk about the women's rugby side because uh, it is it is not being appreciated, but it's also uh, underperforming. It's two parts. It, it, two things can be dynamically true. Not being appreciated, we know funding-wise, absolute shit. It, it, funding, it is embarrassing, the funding that USA uh, rugby women are receiving, uh, by all means. Like, uh, they have at least proven that they can be consistently in the conversation for dominant teams in the world. And they have performed as such, um, at least on for most games. We got our USA 7s and our USA 15s side. Uh, our USA 7s, clearly, is our best players. I don't think it's, I don't think it's arguable. Uh, our most dynamic players, our most um, athletic players, our most impact players, I think, come on the USA 7s side. For the USA 15 side, because they're woefully underfunded, sometimes I don't think we are seeing our best. So this is where the underperformance now plays in. 2017, we have our women's side, the seven sides able to mix into the 15s. We play some of the best rugby I think ever has been played by U.S. women. I, I don't think it's even close that this, if it wasn't for the fact this comp, that we had the competition of Canada, New Zealand, and England uh, in that uh, with Australia there, I mean, that was creme de la creme of it. Uh, and all those games were close, especially that 2017 USA versus New Zealand game. That was a close game in that 2017 Rugby World Cup. We got to see what we could be. 2020 Olympics, far more disappointing. We, we had the hype, we had the talent, but we didn't perform. Um, and obviously that was the rise of the UK team and France really popping out. Um, Canada, uh, no, Canada grossly underperformed, obviously. Um, but, but we saw the dynamic in New Zealand, obviously, dominating and taking it all. Um, again, like New Zealand is ridiculous. I, 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 it, it's ridiculous. They are part of the reasons why I believe that there needs to be an American identity of rugby. Because the New Zealand women's team, those women did not start any earlier than USA women. I, you cannot make an argument for it. England women, even though they're professional their technical starting periods of when they're entered into rugby are relatively about the same that we have here in the U.S., especially with our national team level people. And obviously, New England, England is an example that money alone does not <laughs> mean a winning team, even though it can mean a ridiculously dominant, unusually big team. And at the same time, uh, um, <laughs> our talent levels play in, but there's a mentality that has to go that we see with New Zealand. I know I said I'm xenophobic, but I'm using them as the examples. My point is, is that I think from the USA women's side, we, we definitely 
have talent. Like, if there is one area that we run on, we got talent on the women's side. But something's happened after that. After It started with the pandemic, again. Can be woefully underperforming, but when it's on the field, like this Rugby World Cup was disappointing. It was disappointing. I think a lot of it came because we don't have the seventh side people on because they had to make the choice. I remember Ileona Mars talked about it on 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 um, her TikTok and Instagram. Said that basically the they had to choose because we had the Rugby World Cup sevens and uh, they had the Rugby World Cup on literally back to back months. And the sevens women decided outside of. Uh, Kelter, uh, basically, uh, that they were going to work towards the Olympics for 2024 and work towards HSBC and work on that dynamic, which I respect. Uh, I think because of the pandemic and everything that's screwed up with it, you know, it's a tough choice, but you got to take care of your body. We're talking about longevity and not just impact. You got to do that. But I think we saw the real significant talent decrease. Um, and it says a lot uh, considering what we have expectations for the women's side. And again, I go back and say they are woefully underfunded, woefully underfunded. They should have more so they can do more, but they don't. And honestly, it, 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 it goes back to where I said, again, what, what do we have to do to restructure the U S rugby culture? And what's the identity? I, I think we need to figure out because we're big, we're fast, but do we have? We, we do, and we do have technical talent. But yo, are we speed team, or do we want to be crash and bang team? Can are we a cocky team? Like, are we aggressive team? Like, look, say what you want about New Zealand and how they play. One thing is true: that is an aggressively confident team on the pitch on the pitch nicest people in the world off of it aggressively confident uh and i think that to some extent we lack that no no for a lot of extent we lack that as american rugby people i there's one thing to do plays wrong or get things off but not to do it with ridiculous confidence and overthinking is is very un-american like the world hates us for it, but also loves us for the ridiculous level of self-confidence that we have. And I think over time, we've kind of diluted that. Just numerous amounts of things have happened that don't make it very easy to be the most confident, whether it's on the field or, 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 or as a citizen or whatever. But it's something that we have to get back. Like, if we're going to play, like, let people be like, <laughs> we played them. We won. But at what cost? What, what have we done to say at what cost? And I think I love that rugby has our community and we, we, we off the field we're it's cousins, man. We're play cousins out here. But on the pitch, yo, we need to be crushing people. And I think that we saw that with the women's side where it's just it's a lot of thinking. You know, you're pushing the ball. You're doing it. But you're not punishing people. With the men's side, you definitely aren't punishing people. Like, you're playing hard, but you're not punishing. Like, it needs to be remember me's that go inside there. Not cheap shots, but remember me shots. Hey, 
I want you to know that if you are going to get the ball or you think that you're going to get the ball, I want you to know that irregardless of what happens, you're going to remember that I am here. And I want you to think about that every single time you enter onto this pitch. I don't think we have that confidence. And I think that is one part of the American identity that plays. And I think that might be the issue is just how our mindsets are going into it. Not that we don't want to win. Not that we don't want to work hard. Not that we aren't, don't have a game plan. Yes, all those exist. But our culture is in our mentality. Our culture is in the factor that we got to be able to say, we're going to be better than you at something. Like, we're not going to be the best at everything, but we're going to be better than you at something. And we're going to punch down on that heavy. And as soon as you start giving, then we'll give through to the rest of it. And I think we lost that for this Rugby World Cup 2021 with the women. And I think we definitely lacked it throughout 2023. You can say it's games and can say it's never confidence and all those play in. But the MLR has not provided confidence. It hasn't provided a, an aspect where people feel good and, in fact, is probably becoming itself more problematic uh, just because of pay and dynamic, which goes back to, hey, don't say that you're here for pay, suck at pay, and not be able to bring in investments. I put that on you for saying that out loud and also being like, F the national team. We're not here to develop that. That's on you, and that creates a struggle. So now that I've said all that, this is where I say the structure of rugby in the U.S., what do we need to do over the course of the next nine years? And I don't say nine years. Actually, it's not nine years. It's 2022. What do we have to do over the next six years for the 2028 Olympics, the next uh, uh, seven years, basically, because it's almost 2023, seven years for the 2030, uh, uh, I'm sorry, eight years for the 2031 Olympics, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, 10 years for the 2033 uh, Rugby World Cup. 2031 Rugby World Cup, 2033 Rugby World Cup. Number one thing that we need to do, number one thing that needs to be done, USA Rugby, USA Rugby needs to be acting as an investment firm and not as a management firm outside of the national team. What I mean by that is sponsorships, team, uh, 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 commerce, businesses, USA Rugby has the corporate clout to say to be able to get in front of businesses that we might not at the grassroots level be able to do. It is dynamically on the job of USA Rugby to first take care of the national team and then find ways of creating connection between commerce and grassroots. Whether you want to filter that out or find it, you need to create that. The, whether USA Rugby needs to be able to invest in specific components of uh, rugby, uh, um, the rugby eco-culture, uh, ecosystem, it needs to be able to do that. Whatever it's money, whether it's donors and everything else. So I use an example like um, uh, the national team. Uh, not national team. Um, so college rugby. I don't think USA Rugby needs to in be managing college rugby, but it needs to invest into college rugby, a.k.a. continuing to build publicity, provide a little bit of funding for it, but let the conferences take care. More importantly, direct sponsors 
to direct companies and partnerships to those elements, whether NCR or CRAA. Though, though they need to go into that. There needs to be an investment in that. Number two, uh, no, still part of number one, investments. They need to invest in media. Yo, shout out to USA Rugby Media System and, and Cal, uh, uh, Calder Cahill. I know he's basically running USA Media by himself. It's ridiculous. Should be running USA uh, uh, Rugby National Team Media and some basic news over the top. But... In its reality, USA Rugby needs to invest into its media system. That's whether it's a person like myself or Rugby Wrap-Up or um, um, uh, American Rugby News, even though it's kind of partially Argentinian, partially Canadian, um, uh, uh, and, and creating systems and dynamics that also in- incentivize more media people to come up into rugby. All right, that need to come up into that. The commercial efforts they did last time were just so terrible. Like, RIM was terrible on so many levels. Again, why you don't let world rugby be a part of American business? But you, you, you need to be able to create investment elements that go, and not just in players. It's not just in players. So, but we're seeing at least there's camps and they do some grants here and there. And again, I know we got money issues, but hey, again, you have corporate clout. It's small compared to maybe other unions, but you have corporate clout that you can say, we're USA Rugby and we run an organization that oversees 1.2 million people uh, from player participants and fans. Go. Like, go. All right. That's, that's, That's corporate clout. And, of course, you got people. Obviously, you have Tony uh, – you got Dan Lyles over at AG. You got Tony Riddendell over at his business in Seattle. You got these people who have created – and I don't want us to talk Mark Cuban. Leave Mark Cuban out. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, But – Leave Mark Cuban out. If he's going to be wanting to do it, then let him do it on his own regard, on his own time, on his own dime. Stop waiting for Mark Cuban. This is European thinking. A singular billionaire to save everybody. It doesn't work like that in the U.S. All right? It doesn't work like that in the U.S. It doesn't work like that for U.S. Sports It doesn't work like that for U.S. commerce. We have to give something. So that is not just a USA rugby thing. That is a USA rugby community thing. Get Mark Cuban off your mouth. He's never going to be here for us. He's not for us until we show something. And even then, he might not be there for us. He'll never be there for us. He's never going to rescue us. That's facts. Never going to rescue us. My goodness. Um, Number two, storyline development. It is dynamic. It is imperative. Imperative that grassroots teams create stories for their teams, all right? It is time that grassroots teams need to actually create characters. You have to remember to be a real person. And if you want to actually rise and develop, you need to create stories. You have to create stories. You have to, whether it's a small story or... Or, or not, you have to create a story. Create a story with your players. Create a story with your staff. Create a story with your game. There needs to be a story 
involved. We are no longer, that's not an option. It's not just videos. It's not just who do you think is the best player on the team? Who do you think is the hardest player on the team? That's, that's, that's not the story. Create the story. You need a rivalry. You need to create something that's going to engage consumers. Because again, as I said at the beginning of this, consumers are our lifeblood. We have to create consumers. It, it, it's our lifeblood. It's what creates commerce. It's what creates ecosystem. It starts with being able to create something that engages people in. There's no longer, we need to remove ourselves from the teat of saying we want support and more so is we want to create value. All right? Even from our fundraising standpoint, and this one's grassroots. Again, I'm talking about from the youth level, from the high school level, uh, from collegiate level, club level. Um, we need to create stories. It's stories that started off. And I love this, and I'm saying this because I just I talked with Adam Hughes, and we were talking about silver bulletism. But, you know, it's, it's more than just that. And the minutia of what, those, what can go into it. But this is, for me, what I 100% believe in. We need to create stories, which goes into part kind of 2B, if you want to say. Uh, if, if creating stories is 2A, 2B is we need to, we need to promote um, rugby filmmakers and Instagrammers. It is, I wanna, I wanna, it is impressive um, what Ilyona Mar has done and the amount of support that she's gotten from simply telling a story two years ago about what was going on behind the scenes at the Olympics and just being damn right entertaining. <clears throat> it's kind of weird, sad, and uh, exciting that she's basically um, the balls of fire guy with a three-minute mile for U.S. or for really rugby promotional material and, and storytelling. But is 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 that for 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 as a community whole? I'll be not even she's not even the first person to do it that plays rugby, but as a community whole, and I'm talking about actively plays. Shout out Akinola Raymond, but she should not be the only one. Um, and whatever the dynamic is, we need to be able to create more, not more Ilona Mars. There can only be one. We need to create more people who can produce the stories. One of the biggest engagers that happened with, with whether it's the NFL or with basketball were movies. It was movies that changed the game. Um, you know, uh, it is being able to see yourself as a player. I don't know if people remember like movies like Little Giants. Obviously, we have Remember the Titans. We got things like Any Given Sunday. Um, shows like Playmakers. We got the game that revolve around the sports. Uh, even uh, uh, the one with the rock ballers. Um, you know, we, we see it more and more, but we need more of them. And I know we get like little reality show stuff like that, and and it they should be watched. But uh, again, it's it it's only one aspect. And of course, I'm one who does live action. Go check out Singapore to Tokyo any way we can. Um, but it, it is it is something that we need to invest in thoroughly, thoroughly. Even if we have to say, hey, let's use the IP of. This team, I don't care whether it's a Lindenwood or whether it's Gasden, Alabama. We need to create more 
heroes from more fictional heroes that associate with our real life athletes to be heroes to create the dynamic of bigger than life stars, which goes into number three. We need stars. Uh, I've been saying on multiple, multiple times on multiple, multiple uh, broadcasts and podcasts and and conversations, um, something like the MLR is a shame. It should be a shame that they have not created actual real stars. They've paid for a lot of players to come over here, but never actually created a star, a real star. Not people that have names, a star, not internationally known stars. I mean a star here in the U.S. And what I mean by being able to do that is create a person or persons that figure as faces for the league. And I get you say, well, rugby is all about being as a team in a community together. And it's like there's no one above the team. It's not about being above the team. It's about having somebody easily recognizable to be able to use to guide people towards a dynamic. I think the last time we had like a star would have been maybe Todd Clever. And I use the term star loosely. But he was in places, right? He got to places. We haven't done a star like that. And so something like I say for the MLR, and this is something that also needs to be done for grassroots as well too. When you come in, you've got to create somebody who is the face of the team so that everybody else on the team gets recognized or else it makes it impossible for people who know nothing or care nothing about the sport to come in. So, and actually realistically, our biggest star actually should have been Perry Baker, but he was never presented as such. Carlin Isles was the second one that did it. And Nia Tapper should be as well too. But, and I left Kelter there trying, but I, 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 it's a, it's not, it's not going over the top. But the reason you create a star is you, it's the person that you send to be your representation. You send them on all the podcasts. You send them to the mainstream medias. You are the ones that you're posting their poster, their, their faces up. When they're on billboards, they're the ones that they are the first on the commercials. They're last to be seen on the commercials. When you have their highlights, they're the highlights that you show the most. They're the ones that should take you over the top. You know how I know this works? Because from 2013 until the present, do you know the people that I hundred percent hear about that come off of uh that come from people who know nothing about rugby care nothing about rugby that hear rugby and say hey this is the representation of rugby in the u.s people talk about carlin isles and perry baker hundred percent carlin isles and perry baker why obviously people will go it's because they were on espn no it was because their highlights were freaking everywhere and they were dynamically amazing and we did nothing with their ip i'm glad that they were able to find at least a little bit of something off on the edge but the fact that we just we're going to lose the dynamic ip and representation of a perry baker and a carlin isles because perry baker is about to age out of rugby right now and carlin isles has been quiet but what happens with the men's team goes and He's dealing with his stuff. That's what should be happening. And that should be promoted like gangbusters. Like gangbusters. Not just a player of the match. Or who's the player of the week. No. That doesn't give you a consistent person. And I'm talking about conferences that do this as well too. You need to have a dynamic leader. 
And if it's your captain, your captain has to be a dynamic leader. And if it can't be your captain, it needs to be a dynamic leader off the pitch who plays and is something that people can connect with. Is someone who people can connect with. If we're not developing that, you're not going to see a lot more engagement with consumers. You're not going to see a lot more engagement with um, with with businesses. And it's simply just going to be you're getting support and not you're developing um, a system. You're, you're, and, and which means there's going to be a fall that goes to it. You need you need stars. All right. And the U.S. is meant for stars. People keep using stars as a pejorative. It's not a pejorative. The only time it becomes a problem is when people are spoiled. And that already exists in rugby. And they're not stars. So the worry that it's going to create a fracture, it's not a real thing. That is not a real feel. That is, once again, a international uh, 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 international rugby uh, uh, whatever the organization slash world rugby slash Eurocentric concept of to bash the heads that rise above the hole. Like that doesn't work in the U S you need a front run. Someone has to talk. Someone has to talk. So structurally is that. And then from there on, it is how do you get the attention of your best athletes? All right. Again, incentivize. Incentivize. If you don't have money, incentivize uh, 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 engagement. If you don't have engagements, incentivize travel. If you don't have travel, incentivize something. Give something. Bring people in. Bring people. Say, hey, bring your mother to the game. Bring your your friends. Yo, we'll hook them up with free tickets. And you can't have free tickets if you don't charge people for tickets. Uh, uh, um, you, 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 you create something that's coming. You provide them a shirt, whatever. But you have to have to provide something that's bigger than life. We need bigger than life. Travel should have been the one that does it. Travel, uh, international appeal, um, uh, 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 diversity of cultures, even though this is, again, has a lot of Eurocentristic concepts. And when I go, I'm literally just talking about from a cultural standpoint. We're not talking about racial overall. I'm talking a cultural standpoint. A lot of Eurocentric idealisms. But that being said, there's a lot of cultural variation that is also needing to be promoted. But I'm not here to talk about what world rugby or the rugby world needs to do. I'm here about U.S. rugby and maybe North, Northern America, but U.S. rugby specifically. We need to we need to create better incentives for our players. And that also means also for our coaches. We need to be able to give our coaches a break. This is the players. If you are a player on a college team that is looking for a coach or you have your coach, then there needs to be somebody that either is running something else, which we see that, and that's where the problem comes in, or find people, and this is all with club and and youth. As a player, especially if you're a player-run team, you need to find somebody, anybody, who can do your publicity for you. Uh, and you might not be able to afford it, then you have to give them an incentive on something because you need somebody to talk and talk for you big. All right? You need to be able to have a personality for your team. You need to have something that is makes you interesting 
or else you're going to fall into the same habits that happen all the time. You build a team. The team goes until the originators leave. Then the team slowly depreciates over time because there's nobody who's a figurehead to be able to consistently hold this in. You need to create a team or a system around your team and system. But you can't leave it on the coaches. I remember I had a conversation with this with uh, my boy Snacks up in Minnesota. And he was talking about the fact that basically it was him and his uh, uh, social media person that was basically doing everything. And that's insane. Like, that's insane. I know we not everybody has to be mature whenever you're in college. You don't need to. Just go get one of your damn friends to come in through. And this is the club side. If you're a club team that actually gives a crap about trying to win, I'm not talking about D2, D3 teams that are just there for social. I think social rugby has its place. And even in that, to some extent, this is needed. But social rugby should be obviously more so. It's leisure. It's casual. Uh, competitiveness is much lower. Um, and, and your developmental growth is more hindered on your sociability than it is on dynamic play. You just want enough to make people feel included, but not necessarily that you, they have to feel like they're going somewhere. But I'm talking about D1 and upper D2. If you are a consistently wavy team and you're trying to win national championships and you're trying to win, um, uh, uh, um, you know, just be more of a winning team. You need to be able to sell your winning. Uh, that means finding ways to do your PRs that it's in the papers, not the papers, but on major news outlets and traditional news in your town. You need to be able to be posting that regularly on your squad, and you need to find somebody who's going to do that. And if you have to say, we need to raise up dues so that we can pay for this, so that we can get better corporate sponsorships, so that, ironically, you pay less dues over time, you got to do that. Because... And, and, and I talk about corporate partnerships as if they're easy. They're not easy. You need somebody to help you with it. Absolutely. That takes you outside of just your alumni network. It can be done. It can be done. There are people willing to do it, but you've got to have something of value. But you got to make it worth the while on all that. This, this plays in. This all plays in. Number five, I think. Number four. Number four, I think, maybe. I think that was number three. Three was was creating the stars. Um, and all this crows into creating stars, I guess. Number four is creating your, your media presence. But number five, cash prizes. This one's hard because, again, raising money, a lot of the purpose of tournaments are to raise money, not lose money. Shout out to places like Aspen and I think Rugby Town Sevens does cash prizes. But it needs to be kind of the norm. And I only say this because of the fact that the best way to be able to grow a team is obviously to have cash flow. I'm a person who knows with the HBC Rugby Classic, we're trying to set up something to be able to do that. Um, and it's it's really, really hard. And it eats into what you ask for. And it makes you nervous on what you have to bring. But it also says that you have to bring a lot of value to it. Now, not every tournament needs to do it, but I am a big believer that things like the national championships need to. I think there needs to be one for playoff, whether it's just $500 or it's 1000 or $15,000. Uh, that makes an incentive for teams to do the most to get there and not just have intrinsic value uh, in terms of winning, 
but also have value for who they're representing. That means whether their university, their city, their town, their region, their state, there has to be an intrinsic value that goes up with that. Um, does it mean that there's a possibility of a lot more uh, freelance players playing for these teams? Absolutely. And you should be happy with that. You want people to be the best players to be able to play for your teams and that not have to go and create an all-star team to be able to get that effect. Um, is it also the possibility of creating motley teams? Yes. But tournaments can also – you can you can create rules that prevent that from being a norm. So um, it means that you actually – can say this team will receive this and whether what the team decides to dis- how it kind of decides to redistribute that money is on the team but you can utilize it for growth you can utilize it for jersey sales better e-commerce better engagement with the team things that increase it up but it also puts more value into your tournament because now people have greater incentive to want to get you there want to get there um, and that means more people are now interested into what does it take to be able to attack this? Um, and, and, and it will change the game. But it also means more work for promoters. Again, I am a promoter. I am a promoter. Uh, I understand this aspect. Uh, it is freaking hard <laughs> to do this. It's supposed to be hard. All right? The easiest part should be just playing the game. The business side is hard. But it's the reason it's hard is because it's the most important part to growing the game in the world. And growing the game cannot just be a catchphrase uh, all. It needs to mean something. <laughs> so, yes, this, this plays in. And then the last thing, last thing that I have is you must absolutely... Positively, 100%. Yo, be embracing of change. Um, You know, uh, it is hard because nobody, everybody is fearful of a rugby that doesn't include everybody. But ironically, what's happening is that in trying to not be uninclusive, you're actually actively becoming less and less inclusive. What that means is that while teams might bring people in, your best players are going to the all-star teams. Um, your best players or, or the players that have the most talent but don't have enough money, don't grow. People start to fall off because – the value of getting hurt doesn't equate to the cost of doesn't equate to the reward of playing and you start to lose yourself, but you have to deal with change. Um, traditionalism doesn't work forever. It works as a backbone. And of course you maintain the core tenets, but you have to change what everything happens around it. And I think it's, we've seen proof that, we can't play under European, New Zealand, Australian way of doing rugby. Like, it, it, our system doesn't work for it. Our culture's not that. We're not that. That's not who we are, all right? Be proud of them for a lot of things, healthcare system, uh, 
employee welfare. That's great. Can do it for that, even though it's, again, a whole other question, whole other discussion. But when it comes to the rugby, while they have been successful um, historically in it, um, even they are starting to feel the negative repercussions of their own processes. And we don't need to be that. (laughs) We don't need to keep doing that. Let's be U.S., Let's be the U.S. Let's be blindingly confident, claim that we're the best until we show we're the best. And if we're not going to be the best on the field, we're going to be the best at making people not want to be on the field with us uh, legally uh, and, and do the most. But we got it. It's something that we can do. We got this. There's nothing to worry about. There's a little to worry about. But we have to make those big changes. And that's for me. Again, I want to get your thoughts. I hope that you guys enjoyed this. I know this was a little bit different. Uh, it might have gone long. I have no idea. I don't see it after uh, working on this. But uh, I enjoyed this. Probably going to do more of this. And, uh, yo, I want you. I just I want to hear from you guys. Yo, you guys can find us over at Gift Time Rugby um, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, or uh, and or find us on uh Grow Rugby Show on Instagram uh, and and soon to be TikTok. Also, Gift Time Rugby on TikTok. Definitely come check it out. Let us know what you think. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. And uh, let's see. Like we can make some stuff happen. With that being said, yo, go back. Please check out some of our other podcasts. We got some great guests. We talked with Theo Bennett last week. Before that. Um, we had Cassette Shiranganji, we've, we've had uh, Tito Miranda, we had Catherine Aversanu, Takunda Rusiki, Dana Davalier, uh, uh, Cheddar Emba, Blaine Scully, um, and some great, great conversations um, through this. So I hope that you guys know that I hope that you are happy, I hope that you are healthy. And most importantly, that I hope that you know that you are highly favored. Until next time, cheers.